These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar has taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf. For on its behalf you will fi- for its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let the prophets and the divinizers who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I do not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's seventy years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will heal you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. Here ends the reading. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew and that we too might then live out that which we believe. As Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I love uh, the chance to read the Bible and uh, to study as a preacher, uh, listening to these biblical stories and trying to figure out what in the world we're going to say together on Sunday morning. I relish the opportunity to do this. And one of the things that um, I do as a preacher, and I I think this is sort of assumed, but maybe not, Uh, We read the biblical story and we listen as deeply as we can, trying to figure out exactly what's going on in the context of the biblical story, what's happening with God's people, uh, what's God's response, uh, how does that play out, and how do people react. Most of the time in the biblical story, there's some sort of crisis that happens, and then God and God's people respond, either well or not. And then the trick, I think, uh, for preaching is to figure out if anything that's going on in that ancient story is also happening among us today. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. So here's what I want to do. This is the worst possible sermon outline you can ever have. It's three points. (laughs) I want to ask what was happening. I want to ask what's happening now in our world. And then what are we supposed to do? What is God calling us to do? So, what's happening in this story with my favorite prophet, Jeremiah, who finds a pair of underwear and tells God's people that they stink? Well, this is what's happening. Tiny, tiny Israel as a country has always been tiny, tiny. 
They saw themselves through the lens of the biblical witness in both David and Solomon, the kings that we've read about this fall, as being a significant player in the world's cultural and political situation, only in reality, they kind of aren't. They are a pretty tiny little group of people. At this point in the story, the glory days of King David and King Solomon are long behind them. They've actually had a civil war, the country is split in two, the northern part of the kingdom has already been conquered by neighboring armies, and the southern part actually is about to fall as well. The southern part is called Judah. And it's to this group of people that Jeremiah is sent to be a prophet. Babylon, who is the largest socio-economic political power in the region, is literally knocking on their door. And... (laughs) Just like today, there are dueling preachers and dueling prophets with dueling narratives about what is actually going on in the world and what they're supposed to do about it. Jeremiah's foil is a guy named Hananiah. And Hananiah looks out over the world and like the song I sang to the kids, all is great, let's eat chocolate cake, continue the party, all is fine, we're just happy, just continue to live, God loves us, nothing bad can possibly happen to us. And Jeremiah stands in the square and says, wrong, nope. And it turns out that Jeremiah is right, and Hananiah is wrong. And all of God's people in the southern kingdom get hauled off to Babylon, and they are in exile. They lose their home, their schools, their families. Families are broken up. Some people remain back in Israel, and others are taken into captive. Mothers and sons are separated from fathers and daughters. They lose their church. They lose their businesses. If you are hauled off into exile, you can feel like you have lost your culture and you have lost one of God's most important promises, your land. And if you think land isn't important, I wonder how many of you know where your family farms are, either here or somewhere else in the world. God's people become political prisoners. They become immigrants. They become refugees. And now what? Now what are we supposed to do? Everything that we held dear has been taken away for us. What's amazing to me is that not only was Jeremiah right and speaks God's reality, but Jeremiah does something new and different. In the arsenal of how Israel could respond both as a political group of people and as a faithful group of people, they have all sorts of tools in their historical arsenal Moses and those folks protested. They marched. They picked up banners and literally protested their captives and walked right out of Egypt. Others, like Joseph, they flee. They go find someplace else safe to go to. They take off and find another place to be. But in this context, God's word is completely different and completely new. There is no such thing as mathematical equations in the way God interacts with the world. There is no one plus one equals God's action. The prophets and God's response always seems to be different and situational. And in this case, God says something different to the people of Israel who have been taken captive through the prophet of Jeremiah. God says, Seek the welfare of the city to which you have been taken. 
I know the plans I have for you. A plan for good and hope with the future. So plant a garden here. Pray for your captives. Pray for your rulers. Pray for the leaders. Send your daughters and sons off to get married and thrive and listen and love. What feels like an amazing word of comfort to me is God says to these people who have lost all control, lost all control. It feels like comfort and freedom to me for God to say, I know the plans I have for you. And it's a collective y'all, all y'all, including your captives, all y'all. At least that's what the Hebrew says. All y'all. I have plans for a future for all of God's creation. So here's what you do. Live generously, kindly, openly, even in the midst of what is going to be a long and protracted captivity in Babylon. Now, <laughs> the question becomes, for me anyway, are we, are you and I in exile in any way? Most of us sitting in the room probably would not feel like we were refugees or immigrants or in exile. Most of us, I think, would feel pretty safe, pretty comfortable. However, when I started to think about this and think about who we are and the way our world is, I'm wondering how many people over their Thanksgiving table had one of two sort of situations. Either an incredibly difficult and uncomfortable situation where Uncle Fred said something that made somebody feel enormously uncomfortable and you had a fight and an argument right there at the Thanksgiving table about some current political or social situation. Who had that Thanksgiving? Nobody will raise their hand. Oh, good, one person. Thank you very much for being brave. I appreciate it, being honest. Or you had the other Thanksgiving where before you even sat down, somebody said, no politics today. I think those are probably our two options. As I thought about it more, I actually wondered if we aren't all actually in a little bit of an exile these days, metaphorically speaking. I wondered, in fact, if we aren't all sort of isolated on our own individual little self uh, posed exiles. Why? Why? Why is this like this? Why have we ended up on these islands of our own individual understandings and thought? And you can disagree with me if you want to, but here's what I think. We are in the midst of what is an incredibly rapid pace of change and dynamics in the world. I, to, to highlight this, it caught my attention as I'm mindlessly flipping through Facebook the other day, and there were two posts, Facebook is amazing, there were two posts back to back to each other that I just thought were so interesting. On the one, the first one was something about Thanksgiving was a gathering where nations, or Native Americans, were welcoming to their immigrant pilgrims. Well, that's interesting. That's what Thanksgiving was. Little meme, little picture, Thanksgiving table, pilgrims welcoming new immigrants to America. That's interesting. The next one, and it was pretty, I think it was pretty positive, the next one was a Thanksgiving was a group of conquering oppressors who were bringing with them smallpox and death to the local population. 
These were two of my friends. Facebook, back to back, right next to each other. They don't know each other. They didn't see each other's posts. Here's the thing, I think. As a country and as a people, the narrative that we tell each other is an enormous sense of flux. Who we are and the stories we tell about who we are and where we came from and who we are as a people are in an enormous sense of turmoil and change. How we think about ourselves as sexual beings has changed. How we think about marriage has changed. The norms of what make a family have changed. The role of religion in culture has changed. The number of people that are be living well into their 80s and 90s has changed. The way we think about ourselves and our relationship to other races has changed. And we are doing a pile, a pile collectively of thinking about our own thinking which is exhausting. And we're at a loss for a collective narrative about who we are, where we came from, and who we're supposed to be in the world. Walter Cronkite is dead, and Johnny Carson no longer rules late night. Significant people in our cultural history who united America at one time 85% of the country tuned in to watch Tiny Tim get married on Johnny Carson. 85% of the country. 85% of the country doesn't do anything together anymore. Here's my argument. Our rampant individualism has set us all off on the ocean tidal wave of change into our own little tribal sinking boats. We stink like dirty underwear. So, what does God say into the mess of dirty, stinking underwear? Seek the welfare of the city into which you have been sent. Pray for your captives. Plant gardens, get married, and listen to your neighbor. We all feel divided from each other and in exile to each other. And what is God's way out? Seek the welfare of those who are different from you, the immigrant, the stranger. How could I make their life better? How about the atheist? Seek the welfare of those who have fled from God. Seek the welfare of your neighbor, plant gardens. Minnesotans, share your bounteous crop of tomatoes. Good grief, people. How many tomatoes did we grow this year? I... Share your tomatoes with your neighbor. Mow their lawn, rake their leaves, ring their doorbell, say hello, bring them a hot dish. Pray for those who are our leaders. God says, when you seek the welfare of your neighbor, then I will let you find me. Go and find those in the world who are helping and ask if you can help them. Pray for your city staff and for city workers. Pray for our politicians and elected officials. 
pray for our school boards and our teachers. And listen. Probably the passage in this particular text that struck me the most and has hit my heart the hardest is the one where God says, I know the plans I have for all y'all. This isn't just a personal, I have plans for you as individuals. It actually is bigger and broader than that. When God says through Jeremiah, all y'all, God means all y'all, like your captives, your political enemies, those with whom you disagree sharply, those whom have actually oppressed you. God says, seek their welfare, because I know the plans I have for all y'all. Imagine the freedom if you actually trusted and believed that to be true. You wouldn't have to win the argument. You wouldn't have to preach. You could listen. You could figure out what the welfare of your political enemy is interested in. It's here where God finds us, takes our heart captive, and leads us in a new way. For I know the plans I have for all y'all, says Jeremiah, a plan for a future, a promise with hope. Amen.